Welcome to the Ripe Global Podcast, a podcast providing innovative and inspirational dental education to dental professionals and their teams worldwide. Each fortnight, we deliver relevant content covering procedures, educational opportunities, and interviews with rock stars from the dental world. As we explore the successes and failures of dentistry, learn practical tips and expert advice to help you become a better dental professional. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Ripe Global Podcast. This is Dr. Mike Melkers coming to you from Hanover, New Hampshire. You know, I have had guests from all over the world. This is a unique opportunity because I could actually probably walk over to our guest's house tonight. She's all of one and a half miles away. She is none other than Dr. Rebecca, Rebecca Lucier. Yeah, I know her. She's a good friend of mine. I can't pronounce her name. I am stumbling <laughs> on names this week, but whatever. We've had Dr. Brooke Blitcher on previously. So Rebecca and Brooke practice together. They publish together. They teach together at Tufts and Harvard School of Dental Medicine. They get to, well, they used to travel around the world teaching in the Caribbean, in Asia, all over the United States. Rebecca, welcome to the program tonight. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. I'm really excited to spend this, this time together uh, from a mile and a half away. I actually ran by your office earlier. <laughs> <laughs> well, why are you so excited? What, what, why were you looking forward to this so much? You know, I always enjoy the chance to collaborate with others. It's part of the reason why I went into endodontics. You know, not only do I get to work with really lovely patients all day long, but I also get to work really closely with other clinicians. Um, I am a social butterfly. Um, and so it's, you know, part of the, the lovely part of being a specialist. Um, and you and I work really well together and we don't get to spend a lot of time just sitting down to talk. So it's been... I, I've been looking forward to this all day. Good. Well, so have I. And, and, and we do talk. We talk regularly about, about patients. And one of the things that, that, you, that I think surprises some listeners is they hear about collaboration between generalists and specialists. And I, I know this is going to come as a shocker to you. Endodontist is not the one that comes to mind. You know, they, they, we talk about uh, talking about periodontists and dealing with soft tissue and aesthetics of of uh, of implants and that might happen with the oral surgeon or the orthodontist but what also might surprise the our listeners is i actually talked to you and brooke more than probably all of the other specialists combined i i would certainly find it surprising that uh, general dentists don't consider endodontists collaborative because i see that as really my primary role as an endodontic specialist I mean, I, part of what makes my job fun is getting to work with general dentists in the treatment planning phases. So for instance, if you send me a patient where you're concerned about resorption or fractures or other things, getting to work up that patient alongside you to provide really thoughtful and thorough comprehensive care is something that I really value and really enjoy. You know, obviously in endodontics, a lot of what we do is emergency based. And so, you know, there isn't that back and forth necessarily from the get go. Um, but that's maybe 30% of what I do on a day to day basis. You know, a lot of what we're doing, both Brooke and I in the office is collaboration. You know, I spoke to, I think, five or six different general dentists on the phone today, 
going over patient care and how to make things work for these people in the long run. So yeah, it's a huge surprise that other people don't consider endo collaborative. Well, and it is, and, it, and it's sad that 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 exists. And I'm not saying it, it, it's global, but I've certainly heard about it. And you you know you've seen the referral slips. It's two six or number fourteen circled, and that's all you get. And I've also seen endo reports that have come back to my office, not from your office, in in a in a previous life, that the only thing that says is got to purchase point AH twenty six closed with fermit or a cotton pellet, and that's the extent of the experience that some people have when they think about endodontics, endodontists, and generalist communicating. Huh. I mean, I can only speak from personal experience and, you know, perhaps it'd be useful for us to speak from our own personal experience, but I feel like when a patient of yours gets <laughs> my office, I get a real introduction into not just that patient themselves, um, but also the issue that I should be addressing. You know, I've never gotten the number 14 upper left molar circled on a piece of paper. I know that this is somebody who, you know, they've been having pain or this is a, a tooth that had a history of fractures. Also, this patient's a little bit anxious with respect to dental care and maybe they, they really enjoy Beethoven music. So we're gonna have that on in the background. Um, so I have a picture of who that person is before they sit down in my chair. And I'm going to give you a complete picture of um, what happened in my office when they were here, you know, in terms of diagnosis and treatment, you know, did anything interesting happen during treatment? Did I find something unusual? Like the two internal resorptive defects I found today, you know, I'm going to let somebody know that <laughs> I found something cool. <laughs> cool to an endodontist. <laughs> So basically, you're not an excitable person, and you're fairly sedate, not not emotional and traumatic at all. So we've covered pretty much the gamut. So I think now my baseline is excited, and we can just go from there. <laughs> and, I, and I do, and I do. Gosh, I guess I could I could brag on you. I could brag on our relationship that uh, that you and and Brooke and Paul and I have, and how we communicate. But like I said, the, the truth is not everyone has that and not everyone gets that. And even some of the referrals that you get aren't up to that. And I guess we've, we've talked about that and we've called them the good, the bad, and the ugly. So where, where does that begin? How, how do you change a ugly or bad referral how, how do you emerge? How does, how do you create that relationship? How do you enhance and nurture that? So it, the key word that you just used is relationships. You know, what's most important about dental care between us and our patients is not always our technical skills, but it's the way that they relate to us and vice versa. And similarly, when it comes to those referral relationships between general dentists and endodontists, it's that foundational relationship between the two parties that can make or break that that communication you know for instance you know me well enough to know that you know sometimes by leaving something out on a referral that speaks volumes you know oftentimes you'll say you know this lovely person uh, if that's missing I know who I'm going to get in the chair um, and having that kind of unspoken communication um, and that knowledge of one another and one another's skills um, is really, I think, what's most important in developing that. So getting to know one another as a clinician and as a person um, 
can really facilitate excellent care. So now, now I'm all paranoid and, 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 <laughs> and wondering, did I accidentally leave out lovely person on a letter and you thought you were going to get a really difficult referral when it was actually a lovely person? And I just forgot to write that word that day. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> I mean, usually there's some sort of descriptor that you're going to throw in there about your patients. You know, this, this kind-hearted 83-year-old man, or, you know, there's that superlative in there. And when that superlative's missing, that speaks volumes. <laughs> well, there, so, so there, there are going to be some listeners out there, they're going, this is insane. I don't need to tell people that. I don't need to communicate. I just need to tell them it's number 14. It needs a root canal. Mm -hmm. What's your reaction to that? That's a tough one because there are those slam dunk cases where you yourself as the general dentist have done the diagnostics and you know it needs a root canal. But part of my role as the endodontist is to also diagnose. Um, and having that introduction to the patient and the problem from the get-go can really facilitate my diagnosis and facilitate my initial interactions with that patient. You know, unlike general dentists, I have three minutes to win a patient over, whereas you have these long-term relationships on which they can base their trust in you. You know, they're walking into my office, they don't know who I am. And if I can walk into that room and say, Dr. Melker sent you to me. I hear you're having X or Y problem on this tooth. Tell me a little bit about what's been going on here. They know that you and I know one another. They know that you've communicated to me about the problem. And it just sets a really lovely tone for that patient interaction with the specialist. And ultimately, that reflects better on you in the long run. They see that you've sent your patient to somebody who you trust, who you value enough to communicate well with. Um, and that's going to enhance your care and enhance that patient relationship down the line. Well, let's talk. Let, one, thank you very much for the nice compliment. Let, let, let's expand that a little further. And let's go to a wish list. So if you have a patient coming in to see you from this general dentist or the whatever referring uh, a clinician is sending it to you, what are your basics that you can't live without? What do you, what do you absolutely need for that to be a baseline good referral? So let me, let me just couch this by saying, you know, it's not that I need all of these things. It's that I really want them to make that a positive experience for the patient, you know, because we do have those self-referrals where patients just show up at the office and we're going to get to the bottom of their issues anyways. But in an ideal world, if somebody's sending a patient to me, I want to know why they're coming. You know, what issue do they want me to evaluate? Is it because they want help with diagnosis of a problem or is there you know, a treatment need. I also would love radiographs, you know, ideally a PA and in an, in an even more ideal world, a bite wing too. Um, if we're talking about resorption, any historic radiographs would be great. Um, and I want a little introduction on that patient. You know, is this somebody who has a an unusual medical history? Have they had that exposure to bisphosphonates? Um, do, are they really anxious in the dental chair and are they going to be 
you know, made nervous by my, my walking in the room. I want to know a little bit about that person before I walk in just to make it comfortable and easy for them from the beginning. Cause they don't have much time with me. Hmm. That's uh, I, I like that. Where would you bump it up from there? So you, so you said, why are they coming treatment or diagnosis help with the diagnosis PA or bite wing medical history, and whether they're anxious in the dental chair. So what I'm going to jump back to, and you, you touched on it, why do you want to, why do you want a bite wing? You're, you're, you're an endodontist. You want a PA? <laughs> well, ideally, I want to look at a bite wing for every one of my patients. You know, when I'm treatment planning a root canal, I want to have to tell that patient, well, you know, there's caries under this restoration margin. It's going to have to be replaced. You know, often resorptive defects can be better assessed by bite wing. You know, cone beams are the ideal, but minimally a bite wing can tell us where it sits in relation to the bone. I want to be having those conversations about crown lengthening before jumping into care if that's going to be a necessity. So a bite wing is really helpful. And if I don't get it, I'm often kind of taking my own and that takes time and patients get a little bit grumpy if they say, you know, I just had an x-ray done. Um, and I, again, my whole goal is to make it easy on them. I love it. Yeah. So one of the things that you talk about and you bring that up, you say it, you're different than general dentists. You, you only have three minutes to make that impact and make that relationship. Uh, but it, that's a little bit the same in our office is we make it, we make or break that in three minutes and then we get the next three minutes. And the next yeah. three minutes, and it's all it's all those it's all those little steps. Yeah, but, but the you... difference though, and I'm sorry to interrupt. the The difference though is, you know, in the long term, you're going to have much more time with that patient. So you get those three minutes, and then the next, and the next, and you might get a couple treatments or certainly recall visits with that patient. Whereas I sometimes just have a consult visit that's 30 minutes long or a consult visit and then a root canal visit. If it's a single visit treatment, those are the only times I'm seeing the patient. And if I want them to not only take away a comfortable experience, but also a positive one, you know, that's not a lot of time to turn that around for somebody. Um, so the kind of better we can be set up to do that from the get go, uh, again, the better we make the referring dentist look. Well, I, I, I have a, you know, I have a stacked deck as far as the interview here because you and I work together all the time and we, we uh, manage patients together. But one of the things that you talk about that three minutes that you have and then moving on to treating or, or on, you have patients give rave reviews and feedback about you and they frequently use, aside from skill words uh, about uh, about your technical skills, they talk about your relationship skills quite a bit. How do you make that happen in such that short of time? I think a lot of it stems from a genuine interest in people and their interests, their circumstances. Um, and I, it's, I don't know, I've always enjoyed connecting with people. I enjoy socializing and you know, one of the reasons I wound up in dentistry versus, you know, surgical medical specialties was because of that desire for connection in addition to kind of hands-on physical work. Um, so I don't know. I, I just really like people and I like spending time with people. <laughs> <laughs>
yet endodontics is a very technical field. Yeah. And so go back because you, you brought that up. I chose to do this. Uh, you're, you're at the top of your game. You're at the top or near top of your class. You had a selection of specialities that you could have chose to pursue. Did you consider others aside from endodontics? Early on in my, in my dental training, I certainly did. Um, but I found endodontics really well suited to kind of my dental interests and then my kind of personality. Um, I really loved the diagnostics associated with endo. You know, as somebody who really enjoys a good crossword puzzle, endo was the crossword puzzle of, you know, <laughs> Um, there was also that kind of element of really immediate impacts in people's lives. You know, unlike orthodontics, where it's this kind of slow burn over time where you get this phenomenal result at the end, you know, in endo, somebody's coming to you because they're in trouble and you have this really unique skill set that can turn their day and their life around in that moment. And there was something really lovely about that to me. Um, and I also liked the collaborative element of endo as well. You know, I saw the way that the endo faculty worked in concert with the prosthodontists and the periodontists to really uh, in concert save people's teeth. And that was something I really wanted to be a part of. Do you remember your influences or influencers and your mentors in school that led you to that endodontic decision? Yeah, it, there were a number of them. I mean, Daniel Green, who was the head of the endo department when I was at Tufts, um, was somebody who I had a very close relationship with, you know, in school and have maintained that relationship. Um, he and I met because of my research interests at Tufts. Um, and he was someone with whom I could have a conversation and really talk about those endo puzzles with. Um, mm -hmm. and he was somebody who really drew me into the specialty. Um, you know, I look at Bob Amato as well, who was, you know, the latter chair of the department at Tufts, who just held himself to such a high standard um, that it was an incredible inspiration to kind of care for patients alongside him um, and made me raise my own standards um, and my own expectations for what I could do. Um, it was really a joy to work with those two. And, you know, I had a fabulous cohort of residents that I was with who would, you know, challenge one another to, um, pursue excellence in clinical care and in study. And it was, you know, it was a joy to study with them. How did you and Brooke, Dr. Brooke Blitcher meet up then? Um, so she was a resident at Tufts when I was a dental student and we were introduced then. Um, and then she continued teaching at Tufts when I went into residency there. And I remember about six weeks into residency. So we're talking, you know, August after I've graduated from dental school, Dr. Green, the, the gentleman I mentioned before, he pulled me aside and he said, you know, Rebecca, you're going to go practice in Vermont and you're going to practice with Brooke. I'm going to introduce the two of you. This is going to work out really well. Um, and then, you know, fast forward to a week later, Brooke and I are on the telephone on a Saturday night, just chatting about endo, chatting about life in Northern New England and, and hit it off. And 
you know, my husband and I came up for a couple visits after that time, and we had settled on moving up here shortly after that. And, you know, Mike and I moved up in 2013, and I joined the practice with Brooke. And it's been a dream, quite honestly. You know, she, she and I work very similarly. Um, you know, we have different strengths and similar interests. Um, and I, I truly feel that I am a better clinician because I get to work with her. Um, and we have a stronger business at Upper Valley Endo because we get to work together. You two are the dynamic duo of diagnostics, as far as I'm <laughs> concerned, in the Upper Valley. Who's Batman? Who, who's Batman? Yeah, you're the dynamic I, duo. We have to have a Batman. I think my four-year-old son would like to be Batman. <laughs> well, Callum, Callum definitely could probably pull Batman off, I think. <laughs> yes. So, so with teaching, you, you, you not only followed Brooke to Norwich to Upper Valley Endodontics, but you followed Brooke in teaching as well. Um, I always really enjoyed teaching. So part of it, part of residency for many programs is um, are some responsibilities within teaching, and Tufts was no different. Um, and I really enjoyed both the lecture, the didactic portion of our our teaching, as well as the clinical teaching. Dr. Amato, who was still the head of the endo program at Tufts when I left invited me to stay on and, and to teach the residents. And I jumped at that opportunity to continue to share my knowledge. You know, not that I had any more than those second year residents, I had just jumped into clinical practice, but to be able to share with them the clinical scenarios that I had encountered, the way that I approached them, which was different than the way that they were looking at things in residency, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, I also joined the Harvard faculty fairly recently as well. Um, and similarly, you know, was introduced to Dr. Lin, who's the head of the undergrad program there, and, and Dr. Gibbs, um, who's now the PG director, and, and have really enjoyed working with those residents, albeit, you know, mostly over Zoom these past, uh, these past couple months. How's that, how's that changed things? What, is, what has that been like now that we're six month-ish? into our Zoom education. How has education evolved with you in the last six months? I, obviously, it, it's different. You know, one thing I loved as a resident was sitting around the conference table with 14 other people and faculty members and being able to hash things out. Um, there was something really collaborative about that and it was something I enjoyed. Um, I, I would have assumed that Zoom would detract a lot from um, some of those experiences, but what I found, especially with the Harvard residents, is they were willing to kind of sit on their computers and still have those robust discussions, um, even though we were, you know, I was up here in New Hampshire, they were down in the Boston area, um, so it was really heartening to see that at least some of those conversations could still be had, even if they weren't physically in the same place. Um, I haven't done any clinical teaching since COVID hit because the schools have essentially locked down, but at least the didactics seem to be working in the postgrad departments. Uh, and that's what I was going to ask you, what surprised you about Zoom, but uh, it sounds like you said that one of the things that surprised you about it is the engagement was still there. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it 
I got into endo because I like to connect with others and I like detail-oriented work. And a lot of people that go into endo have similar personality traits. And it was in some ways unsurprising that you could get 10 people on Zoom who still wanted to debate the, the validity of sealer puffs in the long term and, and have you know, thoughtful conversations about it, you know, because ultimately we just want to connect over this shared love of Endo. Sealer puffs. God, that could be a whole nother podcast. I think that we could, we could really, really deep dive into sealer puffs. If you really want to watch some endodontists throw down, get, get a couple, a couple different camps going, sealer puffs versus no puffs, um, and just watch the fights happen. It's lovely. Are they like fist fights? Do they throw drinks at each other and stuff? I mean, does it get violent? I've, I've never seen violence, um, but there are some harsh words that get spoken in the puff versus no puff camps. Puff camps. There are puff camps. <laughs> puff, puff, there are puff camps. So there, there are puff camps. No, I, certain certain programs that teach um, apical patency a certain way. You know, unless there's a puff that's demonstrable on the radiograph, it's ugly endo to them. Um, other programs who teach recapitulation without throwing files through the apices. Um, but well, no, without throwing files through the, I, I see, I see the, I see the camp coming out. So, so what camp are you in, Rebecca? Sealer puffs are not something that I strive to produce in my patients. However, if I see them, I'm not upset because if you look at the literature, it doesn't impact outcomes in the long term. So, if they're there, fine. But I don't need to create them. Nice. Is Brooke in the same camp? She is. She is. We've okay, because that that could be pretty contentious if you guys weren't in the in the in the if, same sealer one was puff camp. The other was not. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so, with your teaching and being in an academic environment in your residency program, and progressing in that to teaching at Harvard and Tufts, you've also delved into teaching internationally and. In, I guess I would call it non-academic venues that is not associated with the university, but more with meetings. How do you find the teaching difference between those two? So ultimately my, my aims are the same in either camp, you know, as somebody who wholeheartedly values evidence-based dentistry and the kind of science on which endodontics is based, that's what I'm trying to communicate, whether it's within the dental school setting or outside of it. Um, what made me really sad uh, in chatting with colleagues around the world was that they felt that a lot of the endo CE that was being given to them was heavily product driven. Um, and they didn't get a lot of the rationale for behind why endo was practiced the way that it is. Um, and there also wasn't the excitement about evidence-based endo. Um, so what I wanted to bring in my teaching was that scientific basis for endodontics and the enthusiasm for the science on which my day-to-day -day treatment decisions are made. Um, and so, you know, with that similar perspective, um, you know, I'm finding, I'm quoting more of the studies within my kind of academic teaching, but I'm still communicating those same principles outside of academic settings. Cool. And I, I've really enjoyed 
hearing and actually I'm one of the few people actually the only person that's actually got to see some of the teaching that's going to be coming out on Ripe Global, your stewardship of, of antibiotics, which I can't say that I was incredibly enthused about watching, but after the, after I watched it, I was sitting there trying not to cheer. It was one of the most engaging programs. I can't, I'm, I'm dying for other people to actually see it. It is the, the rationale, the evidence base, the science behind it, and not just closing our eyes and ripping off a prescription seat that says PenVK 28 tabs QID, but which, which ones and why? Yeah, I mean, a lot of clinicians and a lot of people hear evidence-based and you think it's a bunch of, you know, sitting in a room pushing up their glasses um, and it doesn't have a lot of basis um, and a lot of insight into what we need to do on during the everyday, you know, what Brooke and I want to bring is that, you know, evidence can help us make decisions and guide our decisions to kind of elevate the practice of dentistry. Um, and that's what we tried to bring with that um, antibiotics lecture as well. Um, and I'm glad you were excited about it because it was a program we were really thrilled to produce and I really appreciate the compliment. You are more than welcome. And it led me to be even more excited about what's next. And, and I, I wish Brooke was here to join us, but the two of you have a continuum coming up on Ripe Global. Can you tell us, give us kind of the overview of what that's going to entail? Yeah, so Brooke and I are putting together a number of CE productions, um, including everything from kind of basic endodontics, looking at diagnosis, looking at non-surgical root canal therapy, using prognosis to drive it, treatment planning decisions, um, you know, to more advanced subjects like resorption and trauma um, and dealing with cracks and fractures um, and surgical endodontics. Um, our goal was to prevent, uh, to present a kind of breadth of endodontic information with that evidence perspective. And we're really excited um, to be giving it to the ripe audience. How is the how is the continuum starting? Where, where, where does it begin? So we're going to be releasing lectures once a month, um, and we can give you guys the entire kind of list of lectures. But you know, in an ideal world, we'd start with diagnosis and move on from there. Um, in reality, it looks like the antibiotics lecture is going to be released first, and it makes a lot of sense in this COVID world because. Um, just because we have to, um, in many cases, do a lot of um, triaging by phone these days and, and prescribing, and we want to do so correctly. Mm -hmm. So what, how, what has changed in COVID? Can you talk more about that as far as tele, teledentistry and, and uh, what changes you, you've made? Yeah, so it's it certainly in the early days of the pandemic, um, in the state of Vermont, we were shut down um, for dentistry for all but the kind of most extreme emergencies. That meant that Brooke and I were triaging a lot of patients by phone, you know, using Zoom like you and I are using here, or, you know, Skype or FaceTime, depending on what patients had available to assess the severity of their issues, presence or absence of swelling. Um, and at least in, in our state, we were limited to um, prescribing for patients to see if they responded or not. It's only the patients who didn't respond to medication that actually got to come in for care. 
you know, thankfully things have loosened up a little bit and we're able to kind of care more appropriately for patients right now. Um, but it was good to have the perspective that teledentistry was something that could be done when we were limited to that option alone. So starting off, starting off with the antibiotics and then leading into diagnosis, what's, what's happening after that? So um, we'll be presenting lectures on trauma, um, which is something that at least up in Vermont, we've been dealing with a lot of this summer. Um, we're also going to present a, a great program on managing endodontic mishaps. So not just, you know, how to perform excellent non-surgical endodontic treatment, but also how to thoughtfully deal with and communicate the screw-ups that inevitably happen if you're doing enough endodontic treatment. Um, we've also got a great resorption lecture that's gonna be coming shortly um, and using prognosis to kind of drive decision-making. Um, those are all things that are gonna come up pretty soon. Um, but over time, over the next year, there should be 24 plus hours of content available to rape listeners. Well, that sounds fantastic. I am so looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to having you back and having Brooke here next time as well and putting together our program also on creating that anatomy of a great referral relationship between the generalist and the endodontic specialist. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining me this evening. And uh, is there anything you'd like to say before we wrap it up? No, thanks for having me, Mike. This has been a really nice conversation and I look forward to chatting probably tomorrow on the phone. <laughs> that sounds great. And to everyone else out there, thank you for joining us on this program of the Ripe Global Podcast. Don't forget to join us on Ripe on Facebook and check out the competition that, that is the Ripe Global Competition where we're gonna be having people enter their cases and every two months we're selecting a winner and that winner will be awarded a $5,000 teaching contract. And each of those bi-monthly winners will be put into a finalist pool competing for not only a $30,000 teaching contract, but also a high quality intraoral scanner. Until then, and until next time, this is Dr. Mike Melkers signing off from Hanover, New Hampshire. Thank you so much for joining us for this incredible episode of the Ripe Global Podcast. We'll meet you back here next time for some more insights from Ripe Global. And in the meantime, Ripe Global is teaming up with master dentists from all over the world to offer you a fast-growing library of world-class online lectures and masterclasses. Visit our website at www.ripeglobal.com and become a member today.